Hello everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the People's Commissariat for Discussion and Rants or the PCDR for short. I am Firdaus Castro. You might know me from this little thing I was involved in called the Cuban Revolution. And I am Firoza Parks, the first lady of civil rights and the mother of the freedom movement. You might know me as the colored woman who kickstarted the Montgomery bus boycott by refusing to give her seat to a white passenger. This is the very first episode of PCDR and today's episode will be about liberals and apoliticals and their stances regarding current political developments and how their stances affect such political developments. Today's discussion might end up being like a rant in some parts but I hope it will be a good discussion nonetheless. So let's move ahead and include our guest for today, Huey Prakash Newton and Huey will be joining us right now. Now we have Huey Prakash Newton with us. Huey, uh, why don't you tell us very briefly about who is Huey, maybe a line or two. Nice to meet you all. My name is Huey Prakash Newton. For people who don't know who Huey P. Newton is, he was uh, <clears throat> founder of the Black Panthers Party in the United States of America back in the 60s. Huey, as far as I understand, uh, the Black Panther Party was uh, had socialist goals. So would you call yourself a socialist? Uh, indeed, I do. Okay, given that you are a socialist, TV, uh, what's your view about apoliticals? It's important to make the distinction between apoliticals and liberals. I mean, apoliticals yes, yes. are not liberals. Apoliticals are people who do not align themselves on any spectrum and they think the, the things that happen around us happen in isolation. But with liberals, we see that they do not align themselves to the left or right, but they do have some political preferences. And uh, although they don't connect events with each other, but they have their political alignments, which we do not see uh, like upfront. Mm-hmm. So that's a big, big so, description of politicals and liberals. Are there any similarities between like apoliticals and liberals other than not being either on the left or right? Or do they have some similar effect on events and how they are perceived in general? I mean, there are some similarities between apoliticals and uh, liberals because both of these people, they like to decouple incidents from each other. I mean, for example, if you see uh, the recent incidents in uh, USA, for example, the movement regarding the Black Lives Matter. Yes. You see, liberals and apoliticals will talk uh, along the same line saying that it's about George Floyd and the police officer who killed him or murdered him. So... Hmm. They don't see this incident as part of a larger uh, occurrence, which is the institutional racism. And this is, and and, and and like if you go deep into this, you'll see that the social media is flooded with liberals and apoliticals hashtagging as uh, all lives matter, which is ridiculous because of course all lives matter. But the point is all lives are not persecuted or marginalized in the same way. So this is one big similarity. Exactly. I saw this analogy on Twitter, I guess, day before yesterday. We talked about that if my house is burning, but the other person comes and says, but what about my house? Dude, your house is not burning. Why do you want to talk about it right now? (laughs) House is burning, we will talk about you as well. Exactly. I mean, uh, the the issue with uh, liberals and apoliticals is that they they want to appropriate the things that happen around us. The, The issue with Black Lives Matter is like the persecution of blacks, because they are black 
it's not because they were stealing something or like uh, making forgeries in this case it's because it's exactly because there is racism which exists in our society especially in us we see this like uh, flare ups but it hmm. the white man doesn't have to face these consequences so it's like really inconsequential to say all lives matter in this case and i political people don't really care about the anything what is going on they are just standing lives matter or all lives matter for the sake of the hashtag or the social media trend because when anything goes right anything wrong goes right in front of their eyes they tend to ignore it all the time for example we can see the recent delhi riots no one spoke anything about it and the current going on the the current situation in the country where the delhi police is currently arresting a lot of student protesters in the name of uh, sedition and no one mm-hmm. wants to speak against that no one wants to speak about the kashmir issue i think it's a general theme with liberals and apoliticals when we talk about women's rights there's always a voice in reply to the talk of women's rights it will come as a reply that men's rights should also be taken into account it's it's i think it goes along the same vein in how black lives matter and all lives matter how those things go along so right. absolutely if no if you're talking about blacks and just because you're talking about blacks you have to also make it a point to talk about the other kinds of oppression that takes place around you i mean america is like really far away from india for example mm-hmm. we're just talking about it because we're hearing it on the news but the thing is when we open our news channels or like browse through our media we talk we see uh, such incidents in the like india on a daily basis mm-hmm. like police yeah. the daily migrant workers or uh, kashmiris being persecuted and uh, and of course the daily pogroms so and where where is the hashtags going on in india in that respect exactly. like we don't see such uh, flare up from the liberals when the, when they see such incidents mm-hmm. true. true so yeah. selective bias is uh, like uh, really problematic so also speaking about how apoliticals or liberals don't connect issues that are happening with uh, deeper political reasons or occurrences i think talking about that we can also observe the tweet that ivanka trump i guess gave about a poor migrant laborer's daughter carrying her father in a bicycle and i think yeah. i think that's a trend in liberals and apoliticals that transcends boundaries like ivanka trump is american but she's doing what indian liberals do on social media yeah but like ivanka trump really doesn't care about if a migrant worker is like a, you know flying on a jet plane or walking barefoot Indeed. towards his home because she's mm-hmm. yeah. not coming to help them over here anyway the point is that people in our country also saw that t- her tweet and then they were forwarding it saying such a proud thing a trump's daughter is uh, talking about our daughter such a great thing for us i've seen such posts on like on accounts instagram accounts which have followers in at least thousands or something people are taking pride in something that is so miserable that they should be ashamed of themselves that people like their own citizens are going through something like that i don't know how people are taking pride in that this is true because uh, even when you see our prime minister speaking on national television and saying that we need to be atmanirbhar which is basically <laughs> self reliance yes i mean yeah. self reliance is a good thing in itself but the thing is when you look at a poor girl who is carrying her father towards uh, their home like walking 700 kilometers or 500 kilometers on a uh, like barefoot or riding a cycle this is not self reliance you are forcing exactly. them to be in this condition I mean, you have to see exactly. the conditions they're living in. And I feel like a lot of my relatives or like my friends, they were like, "Oh, why can't the migrants stay wherever they were staying? Why do they have to move and everything?" And even now, when the cases are increasing day by day, 
I have friends and relatives who are actually blaming the migrant workers. They're like, "Arey, ye log ja rahe hain and they are taking the virus from place to place." Like they don't want to think about the problems they have they've been facing from last two months, and that's actually very sad. That's sad and that's really ignorant because when you talk about migrant workers and these people who leave their villages and come to these uh, cities, which which we call as urban sprawls. and they spread out throughout the cities and they live there in little huts or uh, like really congested uh, urban spaces they, they really live to the daily earnings not through savings yeah so once that that gets exhausted it's really problematic for them at that point they will really have to move from that place because once you don't have work and you don't have the resources to feed yourself or your family then you are stuck and they don't have any choice other than moving and i would like to add that the problem with this is that apoliticals or liberals who don't want to politicize this issue basically stop anybody from being accountable for these plights of the migrant workers so when somebody is saying you don't politicize the issue i feel they're also saying they're also implying that nobody nobody should be should, should be held accountable for these tragedies what that does is that in the mainstream discourse it kind of you know uh, spreads the idea that these are you know something that we can be sad about but we shouldn't go about holding anybody accountable for the same which i think is detrimental for socio political change in general i agree yeah i agree with this because uh, you see when we see these people depoliticizing these issues at the same time they are sad with the situation in the country it's like saying I know these things happen because of the pandemic and things will sort themselves and people will be fine once again. I mean before the pandemic these situations were already there. People hmm. were already suffering. True. It's just True. that after this pandemic people are suffering even more. Yeah. And the population which is actually suffering are the lower classes. Hmm. So now that we are seeing it on television or reading it on newspapers, we are saying that things will get better once the pandemic is over. No, for these people it's not going to get over so soon or probably it will never be better than what it is right now. So that's a political issue over there. Like for example, if you talk about the public distribution system in India, hmm. the ration Hmm. it doesn't get delivered and there are hundreds of reports going around in media which says that the public distribution system has actually failed it has not been able to serve the people who needed it hmm. then you come to the healthcare systems the lack of protective equipment the lack of hmm. uh, testing kits the irregularities in maintaining a, maintaining a good database for uh, testing these people and and also uh, quarantining people on a very scientific basis so these are issues which are which are political i mean these decisions are taken by political bodies you cannot go like wake up one morning and like say doctors should uh, do these things they cannot do these things without the support from the government talk about the pandemic we can also talk about liberals and apoliticals and how they react to the issue of climate change i mean we can come the, come back to that later on but they have some weird ideas regarding that as well i'll just give an example like liberals and apoliticals they're like you can solve climate change if you stop using the air conditioner if everyone starts <laughs> yeah that that's a very popular popular narrative these days i mean how does that work out i mean you are not organizing a mass you are not mobilizing a mass to like you know let them stop using air conditioners or whatever 
if i have to add something here it's not connected to climate change but the same you know the narrative going on is if you stop no if you uninstall uh, chinese apps chinese from your app. phones then you can beat china <laughs> that is the worst narrative i've ever heard people are so obsessed with it they just like okay yeah. we'll uninstall chinese apps that means we will win how how does that work yeah this is true i mean like you're living in a very uh, like people are living in a false consciousness that like deleting chinese apps isn't going to solve anything apps are not the only thing uh, like china exports so as you say because uh, like i was reading some articles last night and i found that like there's the i don't remember the name of the fertilizer but uh, there is some fertilizer like i think diammonium phosphate or phosphate or something like that like india exports 50% of its you know quantity quantity from china sorry imports imports so india also imported uh, the steel used in the statue of unity unity yeah, yeah. Unity, so yeah. the maximum so there are things which don't come out in the newspapers right like how, hmm. how much china actually invests in these uh, startups like uh, Uh, Swiggy, Zomato, and uh, and other things. I I don't remember the list of the apps, but like it's around ten or fifteen apps which have got heavy and huge investments from the Chinese uh, investors. Yeah, yeah. So do start abandoning everything instead of actually developing our own indigenous technologies and industries. I mean that has gone back gone back towards the end pages. Mm-hmm. The idea of relying on our own ind- indigenous technology and capabilities. Why just ban apps when we can, like you know, actually talk about uh, developing our own competencies? But okay. then that way you'll have to ask the government to do something about it. Yeah, or people just don't want to talk about it because it's kind of uh, easy to talk about banning apps and being escapist. Yeah. A lot of a lot of sentiment is working also in this case, as much as I feel. Because if I say something like you know banning Chinese apps might not make that much of a difference in the longer run people can just call you china ka dalal and that's kind of yeah, like definitely you are yeah. anti national <laughs> so yeah there's a- i mean the idea of like what they see movement or like uh, swaraj that that used to have be there uh, before independence <laughs> that actually uh, like pro- propagated to the idea that uh, uh, we should develop our own products <laughs> stop using british goods mm-hmm. that was a point where we actually thought of developing our own industries but in mm-hmm. this case we are not talking about developing our own industries so mm-hmm. i think this is a huge difference between the swadeshi movement and i don't know what what do they call this atmanirbharta or <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, mean, i i would also like to ask both of you what's your idea about identity politics like regarding this when we are talking about liberals because they seem to be very fond of what we people say id poll identity politics as in like are you asking about like the liberals appropriating some popular identities some popular leaders and you know claiming the moral superiority or or you know state or what do i say yeah that is one part of it but i am more inclined towards uh, the fact that politics for liberals is somewhat uh, akin to identity politics i didn't by identity politics i mean they talk about like for example women's issues hmm. or lgbt rights hmm. but the point is they decouple this issue of lgbt rights from the broad spectrum of political scenario saying i support lgbt rights but i also support bjp because bjp might give me those rights but it's actually not true because bjp is not a lgbt pro lgbt party Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah regarding this thing 
i think uh, i think there's some still fallacies that are working there so for example uh, people yeah it's to people see their problems like you know lgbtq rights or women's rights as something that's isolated so if we dig into you know bjp's bjp's actual allegiances like how the ideologies of the vhp or the rss how they go on so their ultimate agenda is nowhere to liberate lgbtq people or you know or to talk about women's rights so it's based on a very how do i say flimsy ground that you know they believe for example that the bjp in the long run would be better for you know those specific rights and uh, since you are hewi like <laughs> i think like you will be able to relate if i say that see the black panthers party were talking about black rights but they also yeah. but in their 10 demands they they also talked about socialism and how you know socialism as an ideology in the longer run would be more how do i say supportive of the improvement of the blacks as a community as whole so if they wouldn't have focused on socialism as such and they would have fought for just black rights without you know larger changes or you know without taking a broader perspective of how a larger sphere of politics plays into black rights for example in the longer run so i think that would have been kind of a myopic view coming from the black panthers which i think the indian liberals have the same thing it's they fail to take into consideration the broader political spheres that affect you know their current demands so somehow the id the id poll is kind of you know like a myopic view of politics in general so like i think that would summarize my my thoughts on it yeah i think i agree with your point absolutely and i would also like to add like talking about identity politics as a whole not just in india like how it plays out is that i actually support identity politics to some extent because i mean if you're talking about black rights or women's rights or lgbt rights i'm prioritizing that part for my movement which is fine but you cannot isolate that particular movement from the other movements which actually stand in solidarity solidarity with you for hmm, example true. like yeah. if yeah. you talk about the dalit right i mean if you have a full fledged hmm. dalit right movements in movement in india right now like it will gather huge hmm. momentum considering the population hmm. but the thing is hmm. you will have a huge momentum going forward if if dalit movement gathers real real momentum it will be a huge movement but the thing is the tendency of few of the groups from the dalit movement like as it exists today is that to decouple itself from the other movements by prioritizing itself mm-hmm. which is fine but the thing is you mm-hmm. cannot delegitimize other movements which care about dalit movements as well just because you want to prioritize yourself mm-hmm. so if you really want to have a mass movement that attacks the established ideas the establishment as a whole i think we need to be together and stand in solidarity with each other that's the only way we can go forward and i'm i'm saying this to liberals as well like if you really want to care about the issues start talking about politics as a whole the society as part of the broader political economy instead of just talking about air conditioners or like you know eating pulses instead of meat or whatever hmm. also regarding this issue i think like it's my personal opinion that the variety of factions that are in the left for example like marxist leninists and social democrats or you know feminists or people trying for lgbtq rights i think the variety could actually be a strength where you know all the claims support each other and like for example how the black panthers came up in stonewall which was basically a lgbtq protest so that solidarity 
between the factions of the left regardless of the specific issues that they are trying to settle i think that that could be a greater thing for the liberation of a lot of people in the near future yeah, i mean like infighting never helps and the quicker the left spectrum understands this and like you know like fights this problem in a cohesive way i think it will be better for us mm-hmm. and this is this is not the first time we'll be talking something like this because uh, as i was watching a movie few days back uh, the british movie called pride it's a 2014 movie mm-hmm. the lgbt people they stood beside the miners strike in uk and they fought for the rights okay. of the workers you see a, like a cohesive movement is really beneficial for the working class and the non ruling class people i mean like working class in all the lgbt people although some like really orthodox marxist would like to say like lgbt are not part of their movement but i think that's completely horrible to say It's ridiculous like why would you exactly isolate a certain group of people a certain community who are already marginalized and oppressed and saying like they are really not marxist and we won't take them in like this sort of gatekeeping is really problematic hmm. Also I think the differences between the factions in the left for example say marxist leninists and anarchists okay the differences between marxist leninists and anarchists you know those differences will actually be differences when we are actually shifting the spectrum towards the left when the left you know the left goals are already being achieved then further down the line there might be an issue about you know how do we go about it like anarchists have a different vision marxist leninists have a different vision but right now how we see politics in india you know there is a certain right wing slant in the overall political atmosphere here i think fighting over you know smaller differences smaller identity politics is kind of ridiculous because right now it doesn't matter only when you know you go down the line of establishing a socialist state or getting rid of the state altogether only then it becomes you know a matter whether somebody is an anarchist or a marxist leninist right now it makes no difference because the political atmosphere is so much leaning to the right that it matters very less that what your eventual goals are like that's my opinion true i agree with this because i mean the the proof of your opinion the the the, the empirical proof is that the situation right now in india is so much tilted towards the right people don't even want to acknowledge the left true so th- that's a consequence of this infighting and this uh, splitting up and whatever way you put it it's a consequence of that like at least one big reason why mm-hmm. the right has gained upper hand because like uh, if you see the right wing the entire right wing bjp mm-hmm. uh, under the, the nda government they're really cohesive mm-hmm. about what they want to do and, exactly, and they exactly. end up doing it whatever way they they, they feel like so uh, i mean mm-hmm. if you're not fighting the right wing not just in india like if you talk about brazil or united kingdom or united states or philippines or whichever right wing government you are looking at like if you are not fighting the right wing government as a whole and standing with people who are oppressed then uh, i don't think there is much chances of winning this uh, political war true makes you sure. also would you like to add something to this uh, yeah so my opinion on identity politics is that there are differences in the society the different kind of problems among different sections of society and there's no doubt in that so i think if someone uh uses this identity uses this identity and focuses on bringing a change in the problems they are facing i don't see a problem in that but as you guys mentioned that you know right now the situation in the country is that majority of the people are tilted towards the right it's actually legitimizing the whole movement because people are not ready to recognize the left at all so when people talk about identity politics like or their problems in particular 
the right wing can easily just brush it off and not give it any importance so i think the the need today is that people should come together and like fight the right as a whole and then maybe they can talk about the further issues so also this cohesiveness that we talked about in the right wing i would like to point out like i read an article which claimed that veer savarkar savarkar let's not include veer okay, or whatever so yeah so savarkar was uh, an atheist so i don't know if the claim was true or false and it like to me it doesn't matter but the point that i want to point out here is that there are factions in the right wing that are saying savarkar was an atheist but most right wingers are staunch theists like they believe in god they even believe that cows are gods so if the right wing is so cohesive that they can you know appro- like they can follow a figure an appropriate figure that they only claim that it was atheist like it's it's tremendous cohesiveness i would say for example in the left wing if somebody if somebody says something that's you know not in sync with the main left wing line there will be factions but i think it's kind of awe inspiring that how the right wing can claim that savarkar was an atheist and still maintain cohesiveness overall for their fuck all hindutva ideology like yeah, the idea is interesting <laughs> if 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 someone says like savarkar was an atheist and he is like you know still regarded as one of the icons of bjp or hindutva it's mm-hmm. not like really uns- uh, like you know surprising because when you go through facebook or any kind of social media you you hear very prominent uh, description of most hindus who claim to be uh, hindu atheists or be hindu and atheists like they would like bring up a certain uh, like you know texts about like you know gnostics or whatever and say that like like hindu hinduism accepts uh, atheism as part of it it might or might not i am not going into the literary aspects of it but point is you can appropriate certain qualities of people certain communities for your uh, political gains and uh, for standing in solidarity what's the problem in it mm-hmm. i mean marx was like never against like theism as such as a, like as many of the militant atheists would say mm-hmm. because marx said like religion is the opium of the masses which is just part mm-hmm. of a big paragraph which he wrote and mm-hmm. he also says it is the mm-hmm. sigh of the oppressed which means like mm-hmm. if someone is like jiska kuch nahi hai uska bhagwan hai that kind of thing so mm-hmm. uh, if you are not improving someone's material conditions the conditions he or she is living in the poverty or the lack of healthcare the lack of uh, education or whatever it might be if you are not improving the material conditions he or she is living in you have no right to say like Stop believing in God because I'm telling you to. That is not exactly. Marxism. Exactly. So that that's also, my opinion. Uh, I, I don't know about other leftists. Like they they might have some other mm-hmm. opinion. Regarding the same atheism atheism issue, I think that you know if religion is just the opium of the masses and the sigh of the oppressed, it needn't always be against the left wing, for example. But like if you could use things in those religions that might forward your views. as a leftist i don't think religious religion as something being objectively bad for example if there are parts in christianity parts in you know jesus's teachings that align with you know your leftist ideal of an egalitarian society then i don't think christianity is working against you you know head on i think you could use narratives from religion itself if it doesn't hurt your cause if religion is radicalizing people against the left wing and you know far right activities and stuff then religion is working against you but it objectively shouldn't work against you like if you could find a way to appropriate maybe some yeah some teachings from religion yeah. into your into your political yeah, ideology the, 
the point which we cannot digress from is that religion should not be part of the state yes that's no doubt govern a society based on religious teachings i mean you will not discriminate between people so obviously they they will be allowed to practice religion as as they wish to like within their private space but that should not be a guiding uh, hmm. light for the for the state machinery also i feel that about the sabarkar thing i think a section of the right wingers agree to the fact that he was probably an atheist because they want to add to the narrative that hinduism is not just a religion and it's a way of life that narrative <laughs> Yes. You know to just to prove that this our religion is different from other religions and it is better than other religions to have like a superior hand in that case yeah i think that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. they agree to the fact i mean all all the religions say the same thing like that their religion is better than others there is yeah like, but hinduism is a way of life it's a life <laughs> because you are trying to say like hinduism is not a religion itself it's something else like we are not like i mean in that sense buddhism is also a way of life because uh, when you know, ambedkar uh, asked people to embrace buddhism as a way of like moving away from the oppressive hindu teachings so in that case buddhism also became a regardless of whether we treat hinduism or buddhism as a way of life or a religion we like can agree with the fact that cannot be part of the state machinery while making its laws and before we wrap up our discussion it's a broad question like whichever like how, whichever aspect of it you want to discuss hui could you uh, just discuss your views about whether capitalism how capitalism is now and democracy can go hand in hand or are they just you know opposites that can't merge first we have to like you know talk about what democracy and capitalism is democracy is a way of governing the society hmm. and capitalism is an economic doctrine so the thing is democracy comes from the hmm. greek words demos and kratia so demos means people and kratia means power it's power to the people what we mean by capitalism is that hmm. it's a economic doctrine like in in layman's term like we I, i won't be talking about a huge thesis on capitalism over here in layman's term capitalism is the hmm. prioritizing of capital over everything else where private private owners are the sole holders of economic power it's problematic when you like talk about these two things and try to merge it in one hand you are talking about few people who have all the wealth and power because when you concentrate wealth in some of in some pockets it also concentrates power in those hands and on the other spectrum of this you talk about democracy where you are trying to distribute the power throughout the society in to, to the hands of the people so in my opinion these two things cannot coexist the reason i asked this question was because i was reading about the medicare for all policy that the american government might or might not push through so interestingly before the pandemic in 2019 the popularity of medicare for all i think was somewhere around 42 to 48% and like in late 2019 it was 52% so it increased a little bit but during the pandemic like the last survey that was conducted by a certain media house it was shown that about 69% of the american population right now support medicare for all and 71% of them actually believe that healthcare should be a fundamental right to the people of the united states so de- taking democracy into consideration that's over that's an overwhelming majority like if 71% of the people of a state believe that 
health care should be a fundamental right then that's that's an overwhelming majority if we talk about democracy but the thing is that the medicare for all policy probably won't be passed by the united states anytime soon because although united states is a democracy like people say it's a democracy but none of their candidates like neither trump nor biden actually have made any promises towards medicare for all because medicare for all would go against the interests of a few wealthy people like an oligarchy of people as some would say and it goes like non implementation of medicare for all goes against the popular will of the people so i think the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few people you know is hampering democracy in this case just like yeah, how I you probably agree with you because uh, if we talk about the greek idea of democracy power to the people and in this case it is not direct democracy because people are not speaking directly they are speaking through elected representatives but even if even mm. after that if we talk about the greek idea of democracy mm. then according to that people should be having medicare already because the uh, overwhelming population supports yeah. it uh, america goes and drops you know unimaginable amount of bombs on vietnam and this was a democratic decision legally speaking hmm. but was it the will of the american people the the farmers hmm. the factory workers to go and drop bombs in vietnam it was a decision taken no. through the top ranks of the government and passed it and they called it democratic and went hmm. uh, to a war against uh, the people of vietnam so how democracy works under capitalism is really complicated because the way i see it working under capitalism is that democracy only works for the people as long as it serves the interests of the few true so regarding the vietnam war since you raised the issue so i was listening to an interview of noam chomsky where chomsky basically says that the whole purpose of invading vietnam was to stop the domino effect of communism because uh, america was scared that if communism spreads enough in the in that region it might you know take other countries along with it along with it then basically businessmen in america would lose money that was the reason so if so if i take chomsky's analysis to be true the entire vietnam war was waged because they wanted to stop american businessmen from losing profits so that was the intention behind the vietnam war not taking into consideration anything that the people of the united states would have wanted that at that point true. of time because uh, when you care about profits more than like you know human lives you end up making really bad decisions the thing with democracy under capitalism is that hmm. such governments actually don't force you to align with their thoughts these governments are not conquerors for example the when america takes a really bad decision of going into war with vietnam or for example our government indian government takes a bad decision against the people they are not really forcing you to like you know they they are not really mm-hmm. conquering your uh, self so as to say they are extracting your consent because you are actually mm-hmm. going and voting for them so they are extracting your consent through means which mm-hmm. which are which can be explained in the, uh, through the words of marxist uh, writer uh, antonio gramsci uh, who developed the idea of hegemony so mm-hmm. if you talk about gramscian hegemony it's it's one hmm. of the ways where the ruling class actually perpetuates itself through spreading its ideology throughout the masses so much so that you start believing it even if it hmm. doesn't serve your own purpose and the only hmm. way you can do this is through a lot of money if you do not have enough money you cannot push through this agenda 
and this is where political campaigning comes in like even if it's false it's full of lies or it non people centric you still win elections true and i guess in this scenario the media also doesn't have much to do because yes. media at the end of the day is corporate owned so media will also serve the agendas that are in the best interests of plutocrats or oligarchs or whatever term that you wish to use i think media's role in this is kind of you know we yeah, can't exactly. expect the yeah, media exactly. to play a great role in this they will support you can see the unpopular agenda itself like hmm? with the media like hmm. uh, yeah. with this islamophobia or actually diverting issues from from what it actually should talk about like regarding the hmm. scarcity of food or the farmers issues or whatever instead they keep talking about islamophobia locusts being sent from pakistan as a weapon <laughs> and also the failure of uh, nehru quite yeah, some decades uh, where hmm. uh, nehru passed away so it makes no sense but the media still you know propagates hmm. these ideas through the masses and the masses are not going to open books or read too much into it so once you push enough money into the corporate media you can easily propagate these ideas the ideas of the ruling class the establishment and it it becomes really difficult to fight this because you don't have that much amount of uh, financial ammunition to fight it and also the media houses that are you know people call like i i my belief is people wrongly call as left wing media in india like i don't believe that there is any left wing media in india simply because of the fact that i uh, till now haven't heard any media channel propagating the concept of class struggle like i haven't found any media talking about class struggle in general or you know talking about class struggle being an issue so i don't think there is no true left media per se in india and i think it's just a way of putting down media channels that are not you know in line with the ruling government's policies and thoughts is actually a ploy of the media itself mm-hmm. the government itself it doesn't want people to know the issues of the lower classes mm-hmm. or the lower castes i mean you don't see newspapers being filled with the issues of dalit or the adivasis or the migrant workers hmm. i mean this pandemic was an exception because it uh, they couldn't hide from the fact that uh, the lower classes are suffering but in other cases like you to talk about the last 5 years how many times have you seen the news channels or the newspapers being flooded with the issues of the workers who actually produce value in this society almost never i mean you talk almost never india striking a deal with uh, making an arms deal with uh, israel or uh, importing some technology from uh, abroad these kind of news comes about because these are like huge deals india is making and i am not going to criticize these issues itself but the thing is news these headlines cannot overshadow the fact that there are problems existing which never see the light of the media and people really don't know about these things so as mm-hmm. we started saying democracy under capitalism i think it's a farce because uh, how can democracy exist if you do not if you do not like you know listen to most of the people or you stop most of the people from voicing their uh, problems or uh, their, their subjugation so i think it's a, it's a farce democracy under capitalism okay so that issue being wrapped up i think we'll discuss democracy under socialist countries because i know at this point a lot of our listeners might be thinking how does democracy democracy work under socialism why are we not discuss, discussing that because some truly believe that democracy cannot exist under socialism as well so i think we'll take another episode to address that issue but that issue will be addressed for today's discussion we can yeah, wrap up pleasure talking to you guys actually a nice discussion for for the political education of the masses